right, welcome back to the Footy Museum. This is the Footy Museum podcast. I am Justin Witte, and I am joined, as always, by my co-director, Maria Van Dykenley. Hi, Maria. Hi, Justin. How are you doing? You know what? I'm pretty good. Pretty good? I'm, yeah. I'm like so-so. Like a 1-1 one, one draw. Yeah, like Brighton a 1-1. One- <laughs> it was 2-2. Two, two. Oh, man. That was a wild game. It was. You know what? It was exciting. It was Leedsy. Um, I had a good time watching it. Lots of screams, lots of yelling at the TV. I, I think the last five minutes I watched through my fingers over my eyes. Like, <laughs> Why is that so fun? What's the deal to, with it? The unpredictability, the, 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 this could be triumphant or this could be a total disaster. The, the feelings week by week of loving and hating players. It's great. Yeah. Well, they are definitely, Leeds are definitely in the thick of a relegation. Yeah. They're the lowest they've ever been on the table. I don't care. Like I said, I've already decided to accept it, whatever the fate. But they're within five points of like middle of the table. It's just so insane this year. It's going to be a wild ride. Anything else uh, stick out this week for you? Well, me and Jeremy, we didn't get to talk about this last week, but we have watched the last two fire games. This ah, fire. I'm so proud I... that I am slowly winning you and your <laughs> husband, Jeremy, over to the greatest football club in the world, the Chicago Fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, what are your thoughts? I've never seen two red cards given in a single game before. <laughs> and you're a Leeds fan. <laughs> <laughs> they don't do a lot of red cards. They just kind of are bad. Yeah, so um, the Fire did start one game late from the rest of MLS because they had a bye because there's an uneven number of teams this year. So their first game a week ago, they had... I would say a respectable draw against New York City. We had a good time watching it. Yeah. And I have all kinds of like new obsessions with new players, new to me players, like um, the man they call the Cube. (laughs) You've never heard of Shakiri before? I've heard of of him, but I've never seen him really. (laughs) He is a Cube. He's He's also a a lazy, lazy man. And (laughs) he walks a little bit too much. I'm fascinated by his calves. Yes, they are square. They are cubular he is um he looks like someone who stopped growing up at at 12 and just continued to like grow out yeah (laughs) me and jeremy always joke because we both have genetically large calves and we're like if we had a child we we couldn't because he would just (laughs) be be security well that's that's not such a bad thing it's too big it's too big of calves it's not fair to the world there's no place like how do you find socks that fit? How do you find That's pants true. that you fit? You just become a professional. How do you find knee-high boots that fit? You can't. Oh. But speaking of the fire, yesterday I um, waited. I kept off all alerts till no one to bug me so I could watch their second game of the season recorded or on Apple TV um, against last year's Eastern Conference champions, the Philadelphia Union. A team, even though I have a very strong connection with the city of Philadelphia. I used to live there. I love the city. That that team, I just I just can't stand it. Their supporters drive me crazy. But I figured out why. Why? They don't actually play in Philadelphia. They play in Chester. So oh, that's I have why. no problem just okay. liking them. Uh, but actually, they have a very good fan base, very engaged fan base. It was a great atmosphere. The fire played a very fiery, leadsy game. <laughs> well, they were hanging on. Uh, nil nil scrapping fighting uh, for every 
every block, just trying to keep the ball out of their net. They did have what could have been a goal, kind of a poacher's goal by Kai Kamara that was called back. Um, but then, yeah, in the second half, Fabian Herbers, the star of game one who scored the goal, came in with a double-footed cleats up Just tackle on, already on a yellow card and it acted oh. like, what? what, what, what? <laughs> so he was gone and will be gone next week. And then um, later in the game, the 70th some minute, Kai Kamara. What, now, what did he do to get his second yellow? I think... It was just a really bad tackle, wasn't it? Or did he... He came in know, with his knee or something? Was it from the tackler? Or did he have an attitude with the ref? I can't remember. Well, anyway, he got sent off too, so the fire is down. Two players. And then you think it would have just been a porous opening for the union to just run through. They still held on pretty well. And then in true fire fashion... <laughs> In the like 89th minute it or something, late. 89th minute, they set off a very mediocre shot right at our 18-year-old, 19-year-old goalie, Chris Brady, who totally had a howler. It bounced in front of him, and he almost deflected it, it into the side net. It was pretty embarrassing. It was bad. So fire go down 1-0. He definitely forgot how to oh. be a goalie for a second. It didn't ruin all my joy this week, though, because... It, this week did start CONCACAF Champions League. You love CONCACAF Champions League. Because it's insane. <laughs> because it is a sanctioned sporting event that involves stray pit bulls running onto the field to play with a ball. Large, mysterious, magical trees behind <laughs> nets. And apparently different rules and definitely a different era of broadcast equipment. Mm. <laughs> so it's very fun. And, and regular Champions League was going on as well. A lot of football this week. Yeah. So overwhelming. So much so that we decided to focus on Peru because there's just too much going on <laughs> elsewhere. Um, so this is continues kind of our tour of the world. It's been a couple of weeks since we started, but we are going to talk about what is another fascinating footballing country, I would say. Mm -hmm. it, w it was really, really interesting. Um, so just a quick breakdown. So the Peruvian top league is called Liga One. Um, it is... Or is it Liga Uno? Liga Uno, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a professional card playing league. Like the Liga Uno, Uno League. Liga yeah. Uno. What if Uno supported Liga Uno? <gasps> I think oh, the Chicago gonna... Fire just got their oh. kit sponsor. <laughs> Do you know the Philly admin... And um, their social admin after the game said, "Hey, hey, Fire! I got your, I got your shirt sponsor." And they did the Lou Malnati's logo, but except it said "Lou's Malnati." That's pretty funny. Jerks. <laughs> Very clever, though. Very clever. So uh, the Peruvian top uh, uh, league, Liga Uno, um, has twenty teams. They are uh, they operate in a promotion relegation system like all of the world except for the USA. Yeah, probably a few other places, but that's the one that stands out. Um, so it was founded in um, 1912. Most of the teams are primarily Lima or nearby based, um, with just a few teams uh, from the rest of the country. The big clubs are Univ Universitario which have the most basic crest I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Just a U and There's a circle. There's an interesting story behind this Ooh, one. Oh, I can't wait to hear. Um, 
Alianza Lima and Sporting Cristal. They have won most of the titles in the, the league. Big three. Um, and it sounds like their atmospheres are very different. Um, the Peruvian national team is one of the top teams in South America. Uh, they're known for their ardent, uh, ardent supporters um, and also for the players that have a very creative physical style of play. Um, they have been to several World Cups. They missed out on the last World Cup. They made it as far as the playoff game for the final spot against Australia, and Australia won, so they were not at the last World Cup. The national team uh, plays in Estadio Nacional, the national stadium, which infamously was the site of one of the largest um, fan disasters in South America, 1964, in a game against Argentina, where Peruvian fans, unhappy with a call, stormed the pitch, and police officers fought back viciously, shooting tear gas into the audience, into the fans, the stands causing a rush, a stampede. Over 300 people died. Um, there are a number of notable Peruvian players throughout the world, uh, right here in the U.S. of A. Seattle Sounders' Raul Ruiz Diaz is probably well known to some of our listeners. And this amazing goalie for Orlando, who in the middle of this past week helped keep Liga MX's Tigres to a 0-0 draw in the CCL, CONCACAF Champions League, against Orlando, Pedro Galisi. Um, so that's kind of an overview. And we were looking at the top division team crests, or I think we were. Mm -hmm. um, and there were some interesting things. What did you focus on this week, Maria? Well, I don't know if you noticed this when you were looking. Did you notice a lot of similarities between certain teams? I noticed a lot of um, fish-based <laughs> crests, but <laughs> um, and some yours, very, yours very aquatic, simplified. Yeah. You chose an aquatic mammal, right? Yes. Okay. I did. Just to be sure, um, what I noticed when I was looking is I was I thought I was looking at like the same team twice a couple times, okay, and I was like, no, no, that's not the same team. That's just a nearly identical badge. <laughs> From two uh, like different teams. And so this week, what I did is I took a handful of different clubs, and we're going to decide who did it better. <laughs> oh, all right, I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Look yes. at that. See, so before you, I have presented three Escudos, three shields. And we'll put these on the website. We'll put these on the website. These are from Sporting Cristal, which is one of the top teams we've been mentioning. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Asociación Deportiva Tarma, mm -hmm. or ADT, which is not as well known as Cristal, but um, has been 14 seasons in okay. the top flight. So they're not nobodies. Um, and then there's a third that is not top flight at all. But I was like, this this matches. Um, and it is from Defensor La Bocana, which is a smaller club uh, further out um, 
uh, away from the like Lima metropolitan area, very far away. So these other two are somewhat close to each other regionally, and then the third is for farther away. So this goes for all oh, three. Oh, you're going to describe them now. Okay. This goes for all three. <laughs> okay. They are shield-shaped. Yes. Uh, with blue and uh, white color, light blue, within the think Chicago fire colors, actually. Um Within it's like a chi- the Chicago blue for sure. For Chicago blue, in the shield with a white a wide white band going across diagonally, mm-hmm. and then the shield is split. So above that, in like a shorter section, is red and white, red two red stripes and white in the middle for the Peruvian flag. Okay. Um, within the white stripe, there is in the light blue the name of the club, uh, abbreviated so for. Uh, Cristal, it's SC for mm-hmm. Association Deportiva Tarma. It's ADT. And then La Bocana is just La Bocana. Um, and each badge has stars atop. Cristal has three stars. ADT has two stars. Somehow La Bocana has five. They're also on La Bocana. This is where we diverge. <laughs> <laughs> La Bacana's stars are crested above a soccer ball, which is positioned above the shield. And then on either side of La Bacana's shield, there are two sharks that are pointed to the sky. They look like they've made handles they, out of sharks is they, what it looks like. They have their like little, cabinet uh, handles. Their fins are like grabbing onto the shield, like hands. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I think it's an improvement, so, honestly. Sporting Cristal mm-hmm. and ADT are almost identical. Almost identical. Almost Sporting Cristal identical. has the SC, and it's more of a hard-edged, squared. It's like a rectangle with a pointed bottom. Yeah, shield. it is, but there is really not a lot of consistency in use throughout. Like oh, the, okay. the, the things are loose here. What I found looking into these, part of the reasons why I tried to decide who did it better would be a good way to go is because um, the teams haven't updated their logos. There's very little change There's in all of little. these, yeah. which is quite like why, how did this happen? A lot of people are like, ADT definitely just stole this from Crystal, but that's really not the case because these two teams came into being right around the same time. Um, Crystal was founded uh in 55 um by the a man who owned the brewery Bacchus and Johnston hmm. um so the original name was Sporting Cristal Bacchus which is a beer and now it's just Cristal which is also a beer but they just lost Sporting it. Cristal sounds like a, a soccer themed um champagne uh, yes it does it does um but they had purchased a club that was founded in 1926 ADT was founded in 29. So these two clubs, their badges existed at around the same time. And I'm going to scroll down. And this is the original oh, Cristal. Yeah. It's TFC Very for similar. T- yeah. Tobacco Football Club. Um, it's essentially the same, no stars, no gold outline. And then they updated it a little bit, still essentially the same, SCB with a more ornate font. But still essentially the same thing since the very beginning. Now, ADT was accused of stealing their colors, but their colors are actually based off of a regional school in the Tarma area that they wanted to honor. So it's light blue, like the colors of the school of San Ramon 
de Tarma. So there's reasons. There's reasons for everything. They're very similar. But in terms of who did it better, I would have to go with the lower league. Uh, uh, what's it called? La Bocana. La Bocana. Defensor La Bocana. Um, not only because the sharks are so unusual in a crest, but I love their online version. It's just like, I imagine it. It's just like Photoshop photos of sharks. Yes. And it's what I imagine if the original, um, the original purveyors of heraldry in ancient <laughs> England, yeah. if they were introduced to Photoshop, they would probably they would do, do shit that. like that. They'd be like, oh, we can make it look exactly like that. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it just looks like a, like Photoshop one collage. And I love it. And that I've never seen two sharks on a, on a, <laughs> on a badge or a crest no, before. The, I think it's a really creative use of shark fins as hands. <laughs> so it is, There's for, something so happy about it. For that same reason. Yeah. You know what? It is joyful. And maybe that's because... But of these three teams, Sporting Crystal is by far the, yeah. the most successful. They're the most successful. Right. Um, but with the least successful crest because they have no sharks. <laughs> Moving on. I chose an equally as interesting. And you've seen it, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. It. So it is from the Acad Academia Deportiva uh, Cantalao. Um, and it is from a team that's located in the Lima metropolitan area, but on the Pacific coast in Calau. And it is a uh, rounded edged rectangle with a name kind of just inside. And then in the center, there's a happy dolphin playing with a soccer ball. A very happy dolphin bouncing the soccer ball up. And it, their colors are yellow, black, and white. And I think it's completely charming. It's delightful. And it reminded me of a daycare center. And that kind of made sense because when I researched this team, what was fascinating is that it started as a youth, not even an academy, but like a youth organization like ASO mm. or something like that. And it continued to grow and they continued to develop it where they started fielding teams um, and then a top-level team that just last year was promoted for the first time to Liga Uno, as we call it. Mm -hmm. um, and I love that story because it's it's almost like the reverse of what you hear with a lot of stories. Like the team starts and then they start an academy. And this this club, their focus is still on the academy. It's like the, the top-level team's kind of like, oh, yeah. We got that. That's a side thing. So we're going to focus <laughs> on the happy dolphin. Um, it's a very, again, it has kind of a novice quality to the image, but it's so fun. I it's think really they did fun. it right. It's I just great. It's a happy dolphin uh, doing what dolphins love to do, which is play soccer because yes. they have <laughs> the body parts required to play football. Um, and it's also... Uh, it's also one that I would, if I saw that sign, I would send my, both send a young child to go learn football there. And I would also um, buy one of their shirts. And they were actually scheduled to start off the season for Liga Uno this year. But that match, like all matches for about a month, were postponed uh, because of protests in Peru. So I think one interesting thing that I really picked up a lot in my research, and I don't know if you saw that as well, is like a lot of 
American and South American countries, there's a complicated history in Peru stemming from um, its colonization by Spain, mm -hmm. um, stemming from the diversity of different ethnic groups that live within its mm -hmm. defined geographic region. And um, that's manifested in a lot in a huge divide between Lima, which is more of a Euro-focused, traditionally uh, Spanish-rooted metropolitan city, and rural areas that are much poorer, much more indigenous, um, and less well-developed, less developed, excuse me. Um, so basically what happened is in 21, I believe, the first president was elected from kind of the working class rural areas. It was a school teacher um, uh, named Castillo, um, and he was leftist and had a lot of support in the rural areas of the country. He came into power. The established Congress did not work with him very well. He was not getting anything done, and the Congress repeatedly tried to impeach him. Before the third attempt to impeach him, he dissolved Congress. Tried to dissolve. Tried to dissolve Congress. It failed. He was removed. His vice president, who is more aligned with the right wing, uh, Dina uh, Bolarte, took over the presidency. Um, a lot of Castillo's supporters didn't appreciate that, and they started coming into the city to protest. Um, they clashed violently with police. Bolarte amped it up and had a lot of violent crackdowns, not just on the protests in the city, but going out to rural areas. Um, and so the, there was a lot of turmoil, and it's, it's part of a lot of history of protest and, and conflict in the country. It got so bad that even Machu Picchu was closed uh, briefly for a time. I think, you know, so it was also interesting to me looking at this club and, and realizing their start to the season this year was so kind of um, disrupted by these political actions. Made me want to think, you know, learn a little bit more about um, the country and also how its history are tied in, is tied into the culture surrounding uh, football there. It's a very big footballing country. Mm -hmm. It's huge. Um, so we have been fortunate to line up two different guests to talk a little bit about this, both from firsthand experience, uh, both people that were um, from Lima and have spent time living there, have family there, and are both creative, um, come, f come at it from a creative angle, uh, painter Emiliano Serna and the designer uh, Fio Bazo. So today we're going to talk to Emiliano. Um, Emiliano is someone I knew from his time in Chicago. Um, and so, yeah, why don't we just jump to that interview? So, Maria, since we are talking about Peru, um, there is an artist that I thought might be good to touch base with, since, especially since we talk about so much of this culture from a visual perspective, mm -hmm. an artistic perspective. Um, Emiliano Serna is a great painter that I knew when he was in Chicago. We actually went to grad school together. He now has his studio in Los Angeles and splits his time between L.A. and the uh, chilly northern regions of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, 
And he was also born in Lima and spent some time there in college as well and might have some unique perspective. So here he is. Hey, Emiliano, how are you? Hey there. How's it going? It's good to be here. Yeah, it's great to hear from you. Thanks for uh, agreeing to talk to us today. Emiliano, uh, first of all, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about your work? Uh, yeah, I was, I, so I'm mostly painting, but I've also done a fair amount of ceramics recently. Um, but I've pretty much always been a painter ever since undergrad. I just would diverge occasionally and do installation work or something like that. But I would always, I would always, and I still do always just come back to painting. And right now I'm mostly just painting. Um, I guess I just, I'm dealing with, um, right now with still lifes as landscapes, mm -hmm. you could say. I was looking at them. They, they look fantastic, by the way. Did you check them out, Maria? I I briefly checked them out. It's been a busy couple of days for me, and you sent me the text while I was in the middle of something. Yeah, I a, apologize. Just a yes will suffice. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. I'm sorry. I'm just full of excuses. I so Maria's a big fan as well. <laughs> no, they really look they really look amazing. Um, and so uh, before we were recording, uh, we were talking a little bit, and you were saying that you've had a, a lot of experiences with your uncles. Um, Going to matches or watching matches, is that right? Yeah, going to the stadium was a thing. Um, there's two main, well, there's two main teams in Peru. It's Alianza Lima is one of them and Universitario is the other one. And they're like arch rivals. And I have, you know, I have uncles and who are fans of each team. Oh, no. Which is always fun. You know, when they come up, when they, when they meet up, they'll just, they'll talk about the team to the other they'll say shit about the can we curse on this I'm, yeah that's I, fine I should have that's asked fine. okay yeah they'll uh, <laughs> they'll talk shit about the other team to the to to the other uncle and i always feel like that's just that's just cover for some more deep deep-rooted issues oh, no. you know? <laughs> they, just, they just use the soccer thing which is good in a way right you need a you need a vehicle but um but yeah i had i, I have one uncle who's who's a big fan of one and then the other is my youngest uncle on my dad's side is a big fan of the other team. So they go, they would go regularly. And I think I, my first memory is maybe it was when I was six or seven or so going to a stadium to the main stadium, which is, um, uh, I think it's called national, the national stadium, uh, back in the day. And it was really fun. I mean, I don't, I'm not really like a big sports person, just to, just the way that the place felt, after the game was over, uh, just like the lights and it was covered in uh, confetti-like stuff or like those streamers they used to use, you know, where they, they kind of fly through the air. And then it turns out they were like receipts of some kind because I remember this uh, this young couple sitting near us and the guy was like looking at one of these things and he's like, oh, it's the receipt from the store or something. Oh, so they're um, just recycling? I don't know. I don't know what they used. I wish I would have... I would have looked at it more closely, but um, yeah, I have those kinds of memories. Um, the other stadium is is like kind of dangerous. Okay. The Alianza Lima Stadium is located is is in a pretty rough neighborhood in a pretty rough area. Um, so when I was like twenty one or twenty or so, I used to go with my other uncle to their games. I, maybe I went to two of them, and it was just. It's like riot police and mounted police and like the 
the fans are like super tense. It was not a chill environment before the game, even when you're kind of milling around waiting to go inside inside the stadium. <clears throat> and I was just trying to play it cool and just do whatever my my uncle was doing or trying to like act chill. But you know, it's like you'll see like stuff flying through the air and like things are pretty tense. But I remember this this game. Um, we sat at the very top row, and it's a small stadium, so you can if you sit at the top row, you can look at the at the field. But if you look behind you, you'll see the streets and the houses and stuff outside. Um, and this game was just super rowdy and chaotic. There is like, you know, those um, what do you call those things you throw that, that create like light and smoke? Oh, like flares. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 There were flares going, you know, onto the field, and uh, I think 20 minutes in, they must have. I think they 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 just can't. They called it off. Oh my god! Because oh, wow. of the because of the violence. But I looked behind me at one point. It was like I looked I looked outside, and there was basically like just groups of um, the fans. Uh, I don't. I guess they were fighting. I don't know who they were fighting or if they were fighting each other. But I would just. But I just saw like this the mounted police just like charge into them. And it was, um, and you were, you were you said know, you were 16 at this point. No, this is when I was 20 or 21, oh, 20 or 21. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I just remember looking at the scene and it reminded me of like those, uh, you know, the garden of earthly delights, that painting, mm-hmm. Hieronymus Bosch, like the right panel yeah. where it's like, where it's like uh, hell. Yes. <laughs> it, may, it just makes you think of that because of the the size of the figures that I was seeing and just the the, the chaotic nature of the whole of the whole scene. It just it's kind of imprinted in my mind. Um, it's got nothing to do with with painting, but somehow that's just what I think about. Yeah, yeah. I could see I could see like the play uh, like the field with the players, and then one player fell over because the the thing landed so landed close to him, so he kind of like fell on the ground holding his ears, and then um, and then I look behind me and I see like you know people getting getting hit with batons and just groups of kids running running around and a lot of dust flying up and whatnot. Do you have any sense of that where that level of intensity? is coming from maybe from your uncles or other people you you know and because most of the top teams in Peru are all in Lima actually or like real nearby um, but is it just a geographic thing where people choose their neighborhood their neighborhood team they get behind them and it, it's just about you know people rooting for their side and getting overly worked up and maybe working out other anxieties or there, is there other things at play from your observation it's all kinds of things. It's it's like everything. It's like your family has a lot to do with it. Um, for Alianza, it's even got an ethnic component to it, because a lot of the a lot of the players and a lot of the supporters traditionally were like Afro-Peruvian, um, and the neighborhoods obviously are, have a lot of uh, Afro-Peruvian people who live there. And um, but. I think even beyond like the regional or family thing, there is an, uh, an element of like game day at the stadium is where you, you can go and do what's not allowed normally, you know, because you have, it's like, it's like you have uh, all the energy of all these people and you're all, you know, they're from one neighborhood or from one team, but it's, it's also like placed within this, 
officially sanctioned um, context because you're you're with a team that's that's a legitimate sports team that's known nationwide or, or even beyond sometimes. So you're affiliated with them. You know, I think of like people who have uh, those college bumper stickers on their cars here or or like a veteran or like uh or somebody who's affiliated with the with the military like i think it, it's like a, a symbol of prestige you're like um you're tied into something that's bigger than you and and, and it has like you know respect and presence within society in this case it just happens to be a sports team but it happens to have it happens to be in a, in a country where where football is like a really big deal so it's not just any sports team. It's not like you're talking about baseball here, you know, like I think it's a little, it's more, it's just so widespread in other countries. Like football is the sport. And, um, and I think so that, that carries, I think this prestige that people want to want to be a part of, they want to like be associated with it. So I think that, that when, when kids go to a stadium, when young people go to a stadium, um, there's that energy because you, you not only have like the raw, this raw, like youth, youth thing going on. You also have it within this like, uh, institution that you support and supports you in a way. So all these things are like tied together. It's pretty, it's pretty fascinating. It is fascinating. And, um, yeah. we've, and we've looked at it in different places and how it manifests, um, depending on the, the controls and the treatment of what surrounds it, I would say, or like the historical period in which certain fan bases have lived through our living and, and how it manifests is so diverse as well. You know, mm -hmm. like we were looking at um, in um, Serbia, mm -hmm. you know, how the, how that culture is so much scarred still by war, obviously, and, and ethnic strife and how that plays out in the fan bases. But then you look at like MLS in the US and it's it's just like capitalism playing out and everybody's happy. <laughs> like, oh yeah. No, uh, you I know, mean, like I jumping know. on like, I can dip in and out. And I don't really, you know, or I can say I follow a team that's 3000 miles away and it's just entertainment. Um, and yet it's all connected by players who travel between these teams and spaces and like uh, different competitions where these worlds kind of collide. It is really fascinating. Would you say that there's anything about the game or being around its importance um, when you did go to school or when you're very young um, in Lima that has affected you or influenced your work in any way? Well, um, has it affected me? I, I think it just kind of contributes to having a pretty uh, diverse input of different kinds of like, you know, visual. When you think about, for example, like protest culture and protest artifacts and, and banners, I've always noticed that there's this very like organic quality to those. Because when I was when I was going to school in Peru, um, that was also a time when there was a lot of protesting going on against the government at the time. Um, so we would we would go from the school that I was going to. Um, there was a there was a time when we were going out almost every day to protest, 
So we'd like be in class in the morning and then after lunch, we'd go out and stay out protesting the rest of the day. And part of that whole routine involved making, you know, making banners and making uh, signs and things like that. Um, and it's it's there's some similarities, you know, between that and what you see when you go to the stadium and you, you see you see all those banners that the supporters make. And some of those are just impressively huge and, you know, they cover the entire, almost the entire stand in some cases. And just, I really have always enjoyed um, just how varied it is, like how unique each, each banner is. Um, and I used to just spend hours and hours looking at, looking at them online. Um, and I would also see them. I, I I remember going to like taking the bus to my grandma's house when I lived in Lima and I would if, if it was a weekend you would sometimes see group groups of kids like groups of kids getting together um, with those banners getting ready to go to the stadium because a lot of times what they would do is they would meet at the neighborhood and then they would all walk to the stadium um, sort of as like showing support you know so you don't you don't like you don't drive there you you all walk down the middle of the street um, with with your with your banners and you know sometimes it gets rowdy but um that was all part of it so i think in in that sense i've always i've always enjoyed just that like the organic nature of the language that gets that gets used and the objects that get made around these kinds of things so yeah that's what i would say about that I mean, that's interesting also in context of everything going on right now, um, like over the past few months um, with the protests that are that are ongoing in Lima. Um, do you have family still down there and do you have any insight on the current protests that are happening? Yeah, I think. Um... I think right now it's kind of calmed down a little bit, but yeah, my parents are down there right now, and pretty much all my family lives lives there. Not all in Lima, but at least more than half of them live in Lima. Um, I don't. It's pretty chaotic, and it's also not unprecedented. It's it's not. It's definitely not um not um unprecedented. It's. I think Peru has had like six presidents since 2016 or something like that. So there's always this this element of like um, instability, you know, and something happens and it tips everything off. And I think this time it's been pretty in in areas that are not areas that are outside of the city, the capital Lima. It's gotten pretty pretty violent and um, pretty destructive. And that's really. Um, I guess my level of insight comes from what I knew when I lived there and kind of, and kind of the, that's kind of my, the background I, I, I read into when I, whenever I see something recent that happens, even though I'm not, I'm not living there anymore. So um, that's kind of how I read it is it's kind of, it's just a cycle of very deep seated corruption. Um, it's really difficult to govern in that kind of environment. Um, and I think in this case, it was basically set off because the the sitting president tried to. I think he was basically trying to he dissolved rule by decree, Congress, right? He tried to dissolve yeah, was, Congress. Yeah, yeah, it was basically a coup, coup d'état, and um, mm -hmm. in his in this case, he was he was like a left wing, um, 
I guess you could say he's a populist. For me, it's just uh, I'm just always skeptical of any any kind of populism, whether it's from the right or from the left. And um, it's super. It's like I, like I say, it's really confusing. It's really hard to kind of come down on one side or the other. Um, but I know that most people are definitely not um, supporting the current government, which is sort of like an interim um, like provisional government that's, that, you know, when this kind of thing happens, their job is to basically uh, make it so that there can be elections and, and kind of reset things. Uh, and the main issue is like, it's taking too long to, for that process. People are not, people don't want to wait. Um, right. You know, the length of time that the government's it's saying, it's saying it's going to take. Well, it seems um, like the, the vice president, Bularte, is that right? Um, it, it's kind of assumed power and everyone's like, you know, that's not really <laughs> what we're asking for, but also has cracked down on the protest pretty brutally. And, you know, back to the conversation, I, I think it's, you know, I'm always conflicted when we talk about how interesting this game is and the complexities of supporters groups because part of it, right, is people have everyday anxieties and frustrations. And like you said, they're looking to belong to something larger, um, something more important, something substantial. And football gives them an outlet for that that ultimately can only point to one thing, which is winning some games, right? <laughs> or maybe a, maybe a trophy. Um, and I think that like in so many countries, when you have, just like here in the U.S., when there's such a rural urban divide, when there's, you know, such class issues and, and other issues going on, where a lot of that energy could be put towards change it's sometimes redirected and i don't know if that's good or bad you know what i mean is it is an out is it an outlet or a distraction so like a know. valid outlet you mean versus yeah versus like a, just being as a, like a pressure valve you know versus um just as like a distraction so oh right no yeah that's that's one of those yeah that's one of those issues i can i can also i also kind of have similar feelings, like some ambivalence about that. Well, um, uh, it is crazy. And yet it, it goes on and on. <laughs> and you, you still go to, you appear, periodically go to the MLS champion LAFC uh, stadium in LA, right? Yeah, I have a good friend who's a big fan. So basically I, yeah, like I say, I'm not like a huge fan, but if somebody... Uh, ropes me into it i usually do go so yeah and it's a really fun team to watch because they win a lot <laughs> yeah they're very good and it's a cool and, stadium uh, as well yeah and also talking about um supporters and banners and things they have like an amazing yes. supporter is it called group. the they're like 5226 yeah it's like yeah it's, it's four digits i don't them, know if... but that's the main one they are amazing yeah. Yeah, so you were really in amongst fun. them? You sat with the supporters? <laughs> no, no. No, I was just uh, with the regular people. I was sitting next to Snoop Dogg. I'm just oh, kidding. Just the regular <laughs> Between people Will Ferrell and Snoop Dogg? <laughs> yeah, because they always come up on the jumbotron thing. You're and such an L.A. guy now. Oh, my gosh. I know. Yeah, it's crazy, especially after 
humble beginnings is going to uh, Alianza Lima games. Um, <laughs> it's it's very different, you know. Like the LAFC is like the most progressive uh, fan group I think I've ever seen anywhere for any kind of sport. All right, well, Emiliano, it's been a pleasure to speak with you again. It's it's been a pleasure. Um, it's I think it's so good to be able to hear first person experience from like first-hand experience at these stadiums that we just kind of are stuck imagining through the lens of the internet but to actually hear a description of like the the tone and the mood and the atmosphere and like all the feelings involved with that the excitement and the trepidation involved with that is really great to hear from first person perspective yeah very vivid memories very vivid and um i, I didn't even tell you about the part where i had to find a cab because i saw like 200 of these fans walking towards me <laughs> um, after after a game. I don't know why my uncle, for some reason, he would like just leave. He just ditch you? <laughs> he would just leave. He would leave early, I think, to beat the crowds. And then, but he left you there. Yeah, and the problem is with when, when the team loses, it's not good to stick around. Right. Um, and there was no cabs. I was in the middle of this neighborhood. I had, I had no idea where I was. I just knew it was not – it didn't feel safe. And yeah. I turn a corner and I see this huge group and it's complete silence. They're not Ooh. like, and that's even worse, right? Like yeah, that feels even menacing. scarier. And this guy swooped out of nowhere in a station wagon. I don't even think he was a cab driver. I think he <laughs> just, just grabbed you. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, he was super chill. Didn't say much. Dropped me off a few blocks down the road. And he's like, yeah, don't worry about it. If people um, want to check out your work online, where should they go? Um, Instagram, I think. Instagram's the easiest? Just Emiliano Serna or? No, it's no. Uh, actually my website is emilianoserna.net. Okay. I think that's easier because my Instagram doesn't make any sense. My hand. <laughs> well, maybe there's a link from the website to the Instagram page. There's a link. Yeah, there's a link. Yeah. Thanks so much. I appreciate All right. you um, bringing me in on this. This is really cool. I really enjoyed speaking with you again. Thanks so much. Take care. Nice meeting you, Maria. You as well. That was a really interesting interview. It was. I think um, it's funny because he was like, I don't know if I want to talk. I'm not a huge football fan, but he provided a lot of insight. Yeah, I think for me, when I was like just reading up as on a base level between like the El Clasico rivalry between um, the two Lima clubs, uh, Alianza and University Universitario 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 um like you read it and you're like oh yeah it sounds like they're very different but then his description of it being like very different yeah is like a party versus a war zone yeah (laughs) Emiliano is very thoughtful right Mm -hmm. so to get his perspective as an artist and someone who has you know experienced some of the that culture firsthand um, seeing how it relates more broadly to that culture, but culture in general, I thought was also very interesting. Um, he had done, when we went, we actually went to grad school together. Um, he did a great piece that was also where he adopted the style of protest and soccer mm-hmm. banners. We should um, put that on the website. We should try to find that. So next week, we're going to uh, continue our Peru 
and uh, talk to Theo, who I'm very interested to get to know. Yes. She's done amazing work for USL, a lot of different futsal clubs. Um, so join us then. Anything else you want to say, Maria? I hope that everyone has a wonderful week. <laughs> oh, wow. Did you write that down? Just... I hope that they listen and subscribe and share this podcast. <laughs> <laughs>